we asked people, it was about 81% of people in the UK across all age demographics. Like that number didn't change drastically, even when we were looking at, you know, senior citizens versus uh, very young people all wanted to be doing these transactions online without talking to anyone. Well, here we go again, and I can't believe another week has passed since we were last with you. In this world of lockdown, time does seem to be moving incredibly fast. Well, welcome back if you're one of our many regular friends, and if this is the first time, then you have chosen a great episode to listen to. Thank you for plugging in and hitting play. Now, whether you're building a company, working at an insurer, and you're an investor, or maybe you're just an insurtech voyeur, there's going to be something in this for you. Most of us have got opinions about what we think people want from insurance, but how often is that really backed up by the facts? Well, thanks to Mark Patterson and his colleagues at Deloitte, you're about to hear what 8,000 people from around the world want from insurance. And to make it real, Mark and I are joined by Mark Eastham, CEO of Vantia, who provide insurance under the name of Home Protect. I'm Matthew Grant, and along with Robin Mertens, run Instec London, more of that later. But you're about to hear the five top findings from the Deloitte's report and learn more about Avantia. Uh, and just to warn you in advance, this is slightly longer than our usual episodes because there was a lot to get in here, but we think it's worthwhile listening all the way through. There's some brilliant insights, so definitely worth hanging on to the end. Uh, or if you're out for your morning run or on your exercise bike, you might want to listen to it in two parts. And don't forget, if you're collecting CII points, we are fully accredited and the highlights from the recording are available on the website. There's also a link there to the Deloitte's report and more information about Avantia, as well as the episode notes. And finally, if you've got an appetite for more, hang in for the outtake from our pre-recording chat, which comes at the very end after my close. It's great to have uh, two guests today talking. Uh, we've got two marks on the call, so we're going to be bouncing around a bit, but two both really interesting stories. Fantastic survey from Deloitte. We're going to learn a lot from that. I'm actually really impressed if anybody can get 8,000 people to, uh, to answer a survey. So uh, Mark Patterson, look forward to hearing how you did that. And uh, Mark Easton, you know, really interested to see what Avanti is doing. Uh, you know, many of the new insurance propositions we're seeing out there today are offering new ways to offer insurance, but some of the old ones seems to have lost track. And it's really helpful just now and again to stop and actually remember to ask the client what they actually want from this. Sometimes we just get too obsessed with what we're doing ourselves. Um, so yeah, Mark Passon, great to have you joining us. Great to be here. And then one of the companies that's actually been doing this for real and built a business around this since about 2002 is Avantia. And uh, so for Mark Easton, I mean, you, you're business is really designed for companies that want to get a good deal, go direct online. I think it's slightly different from what we might typically have seen from the aggregators. You've got a product called Home Protect. You were mentioned in the Oxbow Partners uh, 2020 impact reports. Robin Mertens will be delighted to see that amongst everything you offer, it includes uh, listed buildings, high flood risk, unoccupied properties and holiday homes. And I think it's holiday home is under five of those different categories in there. So you may have another client after this, Mark. Um, Good to know. And uh, I see you're also managing to process 2 million quotes a month. So great for you to join us as well. Thanks. No, thank you. Now, normally I introduce my guests at this point, but neither of the two Marks had actually met before the call. So I thought it better to let them introduce themselves. So 
who are Mark Patterson and Mark Easton. Mark Patterson, partner at Deloitte. Uh, globally, I lead our general insurance practice, um, which really means I spend a lot of my time speaking with global clients in this sector. I lead a lot of our research work that we do in it as well, which is part of the impetus of, of today's call. Um, I'm originally from North America, Canada specifically, so I have uh, did a lot of my career in there and I've spent the past three or four years here in the UK now. Great, nice to meet you. Mark Easton, I'm the CEO of Avantia. So I worked in retail for 20 years before I joined uh, the insurance sector. I uh, joined Avantia uh, about five years ago, uh, 2015. And uh, I suppose more similarities with retail and insurance than I'd, I'd possibly imagined. So uh, you know, had, a, had a good fun time over the last five years. My first question was to Mark Easton. Now, in your description, you say that you're leading the way using streaming technology. Can you just, before we jump into this, just explain what that actually means in practice? Yeah, sure. I mean, as you said, we use our brand Home Protect to sell non-standard home insurance to consumers via, via price comparison sites on our own website. The, the basis, the kind of platform technology we use to do that is called streaming technology. And what it allows us to do is to make machine learning decisions in about 700 milliseconds. And so that's, that 700 milliseconds is, is kind of no accident. We get about that amount of time to respond to the quote request from a price comparison site. So if we took any longer than that, in effect, we'd be timed out. So our challenge was how do you make machine learning decisions in a very short space of time? And, and the answer we found was streaming technology. Um, in effect, it's, a, uh, it's allowed us to build a decisioning platform that we use for our retail pricing and our risk pricing. And importantly, what it's also meant is we can demote the role of our policy administration system. So I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will have frustrations with their legacy policy administration system. In effect, we've taken all of the value creation activity out of that and put it into a decisioning platform. Um, it's all cloud-based, so it's fully scalable. What that means is we can keep adding in new models, so we can still respond to a price comparison quote request in the allotted time, but there's no real limit on the complexity of modeling that we can apply to our decision, which you know, we found very powerful for uh, our, our growth as a business over the last three or four years. No, that's really interesting. And that whole point about you know, policy administration systems, what's the future of policy administration systems? Uh, we're releasing a report fairly soon looking at e-placing platforms. And that's definitely one of the themes coming through. You know, the, 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 sort of the role of policy administration systems seems to be declining. Uh, and then, Mark, you've, you're also, you've got an interesting background. You're another person that's discovered insurance partway through your career and leading Carphone Warehouse in the UK. So, so what possibly drove you to, to move from what was you know, quite a different business into insurance? It wasn't a call I expected to get uh, to join an insurer and, and it wasn't something that um, I immediately went, oh gosh, yes, that, that feels like the right next thing. But having said that, the parallels have been, have been really strong with retail. So um, mobile phones are just like insurance. You know, you sell a product and at the point of selling it to a customer, you don't know ultimately what the revenue is you're going to achieve or necessarily what the cost price is going to be. Um, it's a predictive uh, product that generates lifetime value over a number of years. So the similarities in the proposition side was, was strong. And then also, 
at Avantia, what we've done is we've created our own value chain. So uh, we manage our own claims. Uh, we manage uh, an outsource partner for our contact center. So again, building strategic supplier relationships is a big part of what you do in retail. And it's a big part in, in the work that I've done at Avantia. So um, I, I'm, I'm no more popular at parties as a consequence of joining insurance, I have to say. Uh, but but a number of parallels that have, that have helped me really enjoy the last five years. Well, great, and you're, I mean, we can see see you are still smiling, so uh, I'm sure something <laughs> is going well. So really keen to sort of dig into Mark Passon, your your report, your you and your colleagues' report, really impressive. Can you just talk a little bit about who you were asking and and how did you get them to respond? And I know this is a global report, so if you can sort of give us a sense of which countries you were talking to people in as well, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so last year we ran this survey in about eight countries. That would have been uh, Canada, the US, UK, Germany, Italy, uh, Japan, Australia, um, and China. Um, and essentially the, the purpose of it was we wanted to go talk to consumers about home and motor insurance. And what we wanted to do was challenge sort of not just asking the is price important question, because that's what everyone asks and everyone gets the answer back is, we went and took you know, about eight different products into those segments and tested them with customers to go, is this what you want in the future? So kind of taking all those great ideas that we're hearing in the insure tech community, but taking them to the customers and going, is this actually what you want or not? So really interesting report. Look forward to unpacking it for you guys. Great. And we'll give a link to the report uh, in the episode notes. We can talk a bit about that, but it's uh, a, a really excellent, very easy to consume 25 pages document at least it was when i downloaded it so um we'll come to that in a minute um but from the avantia point of view mark interesting to know i know you weren't there at the sort of start of avantia but thematically you know what are the, what are the biggest problems or maybe even the one biggest problem that you think avantia is helping consumers solve when it comes to buying insurance the original idea that the founders of the business had was that they saw uh, digital solutions as being revolutionary for customers who had non-standard needs. So up until uh, the point the business started, it had been very, very effort intensive with very poor value for customers trying to buy a non-standard home insurance policy. And what the founders did was start to build an underwriting engine that in effect allowed all of those different conditions to be covered without there needing to be a phone call or much human intervention. And what the business has done over the, uh, the last four or five years is really move that on. So today, 98% of every risk that presents itself through a price comparison site can be sold by us without there needing to be a human involved. So as you can imagine, that cuts down the friction for the customer massively. And it keeps our costs really low, which we're then obviously able to reinvest back into the proposition and lower prices for customers and, and grow our business in a, in a kind of virtuous way. So that, that's really been um, the kind of original um, ethos of the business. And so digital runs pretty deep uh, in our culture in terms of how we go about sol solving problems. And I guess the implication of that is you must have confidence in the data that you're getting for non-standard risks. I mean, my experience has been 
although there's a lot of data out there, once you start to move away into risks that are sort of non-standard, non-homogenous, it gets harder to really have confidence in what you're hearing. But it sounds like you, you, you do, because you, you survived and you've been successful, you do have confidence and you do have data sources that, that enable you to understand those non-standard risks. Yeah, data is a really important part of, of what we do. I mean, obviously, when you've been in non-standard home insurance for a long time, operating with a relatively large amount of volume, you have your own very rich claims data for non-standard customers. So that's, I guess, where we start. But because we're not an intermediated business, we're direct to consumer. So we don't sit on a panel and deal with a broker. Um, we, we operate everything end to end. That means that we see all of the data that's available in, in the value chain and in the customer journey. And so we can build a much uh, deeper, richer picture of the customer and the marketplace that we're trading in because we're seeing everything. If we sat on a panel, we might only see a little bit of um, what the broker was quoting for. Um, equally, if we were a broker, we're not seeing the whole back end of of an insurance operation, the pricing of risk, the managing of claims, et cetera. So the data for us is being able to join all those dots up. Um, and also the fact we've quoted for every home insurance risk over the last 10 years through all of the comparison sites also creates a very rich source of data. So Mark, the, with the Deloitte's work you did, you had simplicity in there as you're one of the five is actually the, the first on the list. I don't know that was because it was the most important. It seems as if there's quite a strong connection there between you know, what Avanti have been able to do, take complicated and unusual types of risk, but actually from the consumer's point of view or the buyer's point of view, simplify them. But I'm really interested just to hear what was driving the feedback you were getting from people about simplicity and, and to the extent of that signal that the, the buying journey is still generally too complicated. Yes, simplicity was the number one theme out of, out of our survey. And while the simplicity theme itself sounds simple, I, I think it's something that we're still struggling with in the industry. And I love the Avantia story because I think it matches with what consumers are actually asking, especially in the UK. You know, a, a quick stat here would be, you know, when we asked people, it was about 81% of people in the UK across all age demographics. Like that number didn't change drastically, even when we were looking at, you know, senior citizens versus uh, very young people all wanted to be doing these transactions online without talking to anyone. And so I love that Avanti is covering, you know, that broad spectrum of, of non-standard. But in, in the simplicity piece more broadly, you know, there is um, across the globe sort of a demand for, you know, whatever the product might be or how you're positioning the product, the feedback we always got was how do you keep this simple? And the simple though is beyond just the transaction. So people absolutely want that transaction to be slick and simple, but they want to understand the product very simply and understand it means they want to know what they're covered for. They want to understand what the cost of the product is and understand how that compares to other products. And they also you know, want it to be familiar and a bit predictable in what they're getting. And, and again, there's some variations of this across the globe. The UK had the highest sort of call it demand for simplicity, if you will. China had, I'd call it the most highest appetite, if you will, for some of the more complexity um, in, in the product. But I think the big message for us is when we have that brilliant idea around a connected device or something else, how do we keep it simple for the customer, both the buying journey and the understanding of that product? 
so much we could talk about in that. I just want to make sure we pick up on something you said at the beginning there, which to me was something I hadn't heard before, but I'm not that surprised about, which was this fact that the, the desire for a digital experience or being able to do something online or through a phone was actually fairly consistent by age group because we, we tend to hear about it being driven by the millennials or a younger generation or as a digital natives. But what you're saying is actually all the way through to everybody now wants to be able to do this digitally. So there's less age differentiation in how people are buying insurance. Absolutely. So the digital adoption piece was, was pretty consistent around the desire against the age group. We had interesting variations around the globe. Again, I'll pick on the UK. You'll find in our study, the UK comes at, at one extreme end of the spectrum from an insurance perspective, where that was the highest demand for digital. The other extreme was, was Canada, which had the lowest demand. And, and being originally from Canada, I can say it's highly dominated by the phone channel and the broker channel there. And I think that's just around customers being used to doing the transaction via that way. But again, against any of the countries and the demand for digital, it's there and it's pretty consistent across those, those age brackets. I guess in the UK, we've had direct line doing, you know, tele- interesting, started off in telephone insurance before anybody else was doing that. I mean, so, and then moved into digital. So we've sort of seen the future. Um, but I just come back to this theme about simplicity. There's a, there's a real tension with simplicity, isn't there? Because you can give somebody a simple buying decision or buying process, but when it comes down to what's covered and what's not covered, there's only so far you can go in terms of being able to simplify the wordings. And obviously we've seen in the last year, some of the impact of people who thought they were covered for business interruption and weren't. How did that sort of play itself out? Or what are you seeing in terms of how organizations are able to manage that you know, simplicity, but not so simple that people then aren't covered for what they thought they're going to cover on one hand or insurance companies end up paying out for what they didn't expect to pay out for? I think we in the insurance industry keep failing on trying to just simplify the wording. I think we haven't started to take the broader way of what is a different way to explain the policy to a customer, whether it be a small business or a retail customer. Is it that I should be showing videos? Is it that I should be showing something interactive to explain that policy? Because customers, all the feedback we've gotten was they do not read the policy deck. Even if the policy wording is highly simplified down to a couple of pages, which you know insurers like Lemonade and some others have done a great job of trying to simplify that down. People don't want to read it. Uh, this is Matthew. I just want to jump in as I'm listening back to our interview. This is one of the big revelations that stands out from the Deloitte study. No matter how simple the policies are, few people are reading them, not even if it's only two pages. So if they want to gain the trust of their customers, insurers are going to need to find a whole new way to make it clear what is covered and what's not. That's a big deal. Uh, and for insurers, there's another big challenge coming, embedded insurance. What percentage of people in the Deloitte survey do you think wanted invisible or embedded insurance? Have a guess. Mark Patterson reveals what they found. One of the product types that took off a lot, and I think it varied by age segment, was a product that we described to consumers as invisible, right? So think about going and get leasing your car, and the lease payment just includes the insurance and includes other dimensions in there, and you're just immediately covered. When we looked at people in sort of, you know, uh, affluent age, uh, <clears throat> affluent uh, income, a uh, younger age, that was the number one product they want. They said, you know, 37% of them just said, 
I want a motor product that is invisible. I don't want to have to think about it. I just want to know that I'm covered and I just want it to be bundled in with everything else I'm doing around my car. One of the things I think is interesting about that is it's probably very much that Tesla demographic, if you will. And so some of the work that Elon Musk is, is talking about doing in insurance makes sense when you look at this data of that demographic. That's the number one thing they're saying they want is going, I don't want to even think about the product. I want to know I'm covered, but I don't want to think about it at all. Yeah, and we're going to talk about embedded insurance next, but certainly you know, Amazon has conditioned us all to if we buy something and we decide we don't want it, we can send it back and, and there's no questions asked. And I, I think that's sort of spilling over into insurance. But Mark, from the Avantia point of view, this must be a big issue for you as well with regards to simplicity and, and wording. So, so what are you doing to help your customers get more clarity around what they're covered for? Yeah, good question. I mean, I would agree with Mark. Customers don't really want to read their documentation. And so I think the best time to be very transparent with what's in the product is during the, the digital acquisition journey. But of course, the more you try and explain, the less simple the journey appears and the harder it is for the customer to shop. I, I think when, when you get this right, I think what you're doing is you are investing hard in your business's risk pricing and risk selection capabilities because ultimately what that allows you to do is to lower the cost of your product and to include more in it. The more you include in your product, then the easier it is to be transparent and you can achieve a simpler journey but also make sure that you've reflected the customer's needs and wants. So, um, uh, you know, for me, you can't just start with the journey. You have to start with the business's risk pricing and risk selection. If you're going to be able to deliver a product to customers that they're going to want to buy, that's also simple and, and transparent for them to understand. How do you deal with the fact that certain things are going to be excluded? So somebody might not read the entire you know, wordings document, but, if they know that certain things are excluded, then they can make a decision there's less likelihood of a surprise. So is that part of this? Is it just being more explicit about what's not covered and making sure people are comfortable with that? So the industry tries to tackle it at the moment, I think, with tiering. And so a number of players use a tiered solution. I'm not as convinced by that because ultimately they're quite arbitrary um, collections of, of cover. You know, you might like some things that are in a silver package, but you might not like everything. I actually think the opportunity for transparency and to make sure customers are clear what they're getting is to add the material items of cover that they might want as extras in the digital journey and allow them to make a decision that says, well, um, you know, if, if you want cover for that, you can have it. The price for it is X, Y, and Z. And here's a little bit of information to help you understand whether or not it's right for you. There are only two or three very big items like that that are material. Um, I do think you're right. It leaves you with um, a list of smaller exclusions that really only can be um, visible if you read the, um, the product details. But at the end of the day, I think if we're talking about materiality, um, if, if there are some minor things excluded, then clearly the impact on, on the customer, even if they haven't taken the time to read the documentation, is small, but all of the major things should be squared off and, and the customer should 
feel reassured that we're going to pay their claim when the moment comes. And Mark, if I, if I can add in on that, because I'm completely aligned with that. And, and you know, some of the data that we had was um, a customer saying they like the flexibility of some of the options, exactly as you're describing, but keep them simple, right? And I think we as insurers like to get at this level of granularity and into wording that just confuses a customer. And we definitely have seen, also was doing some research with small businesses where they've all said, I'm up for paying more. Just make it really simple and easy for me to understand what I get with that option. Over the course of your survey, or do you have a way to sort of measure how we're doing on this? I mean, you mentioned Lemonade's, I think they call it policy 2.0, they've made publicly available, you know, as a, a big step in, in that direction. But it, are you seeing the trends getting, getting better about this in a way you can actually measure? Um, <clears throat> we didn't necessarily directly get it measured out of the survey. I would just say broadly of my working around the globe, I, I think we don't have this right. I think, you know, there's, there's individual examples there of people doing a great job of improving their policy wordings, but on the most parts across the globe, the insurance transaction is not, is not what Mark was just describing there, you know, as that simple process that really clearly articulates it to a customer. And that's where then customers, what we're seeing, fall back to familiarity of going, well, I've bought this policy my whole life and my parents bought this policy and their parents did. They keep buying it because I don't understand. I don't actually understand what I'm buying today and I don't understand the other options out there. So I'm going to hunker down with what's familiar with me. And that, that really came across in a lot of geographies. China was sort of one of our one exception where uh, we probably have more demand for what we call innovative uh, policies. Yeah, well, it'd be great to come back in 12 months' time and, and see where this is going, because it, it is very much front and centre. You know, no surprises coming up top of the list, particularly given last year. But just want to move on to the second theme, which came out very strongly in our own predictions event. Uh, we also you know, see a lot happening in this space around embedded insurance. I know you had some variation by countries in there, but yeah, from the point of view of the Deloitte's report, Mark, can you just talk a little bit? I mean, not everyone will be familiar with the concept of embedded insurance, so maybe you should explain it and then talk about what you're seeing that's working and, and again, where the trends are, are moving with this. Yeah, so, so one of the propositions we tested, and uh, as you said, we tested a few different variations, was call it embedded insurance. And so, sort of, you know, from a motor perspective, it's very easy to describe, right? You go and you lease your car and imagine it just comes with insurance covered in there, right? Similarly, if you go and you rent a house, imagine that your rent just included that coverage uh, of insurance. And we, we asked customers in two different ways, again, both the home and the motor one. We asked about you know, an embedded one that was just completely invisible. You didn't know anything about it and you just your premium was taken care of and you knew everything was, was, was good. We asked also some variations of ones where it's embedded and connected, and we're going to do that for the purpose of getting you the cheapest price. And there was another one where we said, hey, it's connected, but we give you a pile of additional services in there. Let's just go back over those points because this starts to get really interesting. So there are actually three different variations of embedded insurance that Deloitte's asked about. First of all, there's embedded insurance that is completely invisible to you. It's just included in the overall purchase or rental cost. And then secondly, the insurance is embedded, but it's also connected to usage and is intended to help drive the cost down. And then the third example is embedded connected insurance that comes with some additional services. Now, back to Mark as he talks about what buyers, that's people like you and I, want when it comes to embedded insurance. 
And so th this one varied a lot by region um, and as well by you know, demographic on who was, was interested in this. If I, if I first pick on some people that really liked it, right, was if I picked on the motor one, would be you know people in the UK especially who had a high net worth or a high income were very keen on this for their vehicles, right? It was their number one product. They said they want this more so than any other product um, <clears throat> than any other product that would, would be offered. Similarly, if we switch to the home side across the globe, we found people in that similar type of demographic, though typically under the age of thirty-five. Um, but with a high income, and a high income in this case would have been about fifty to one hundred thousand U.S. Uh, dollars. Um, those that were buying at home, they said that that was their number one um, uh, product was something that was embedded, but also protecting them, right? And that was about you know a quarter of everyone that we surveyed in that demographic said that was their number one choice for insurance uh, across uh, across the globe. But let me just flip to some of the negative sides that came out of this or reluctancy that we saw. Um, and these reluctancies vary by region. One was people were thinking a lot about the channel that they were getting this insurance. If I pick on the UK again, on the home side, there was a major reluctance. The reason there was a reluctance was we implied in how we asked the question that your estate agent or your real estate agent would be involved in that transaction. And people said, well, I don't really know if I trust my real estate agent to be involved in that. Versus if you switch to some other countries like Italy, people were doing some of this through their bank and they said, well, I'm comfortable. I trust my, my, my bank on this. And so there was this dimension there of trust of the sales channel and preconceived notions people had about that sales channel the second major reluctancy we had from consumers was the data sharing aspect of it. Okay, it varied a lot by country, but you know, in Germany, for example, people were very, very reluctant to have any of this data shared um, in any of the type of connected embedded offerings versus China, there was a much more willingness um, to, to, to have that. Uh, so it varied again by that. The last piece, you know, called the third dimension, not to sound like a broken record, but going back to what we started this conversation on was simplicity. Consumers want this to be simple. And sometimes we mix these two here when we start talking about some of those embedded or connected ones. Going to the car dealer, leasing a car, and then going, the insurance is covered and not asking you any additional questions, that's simple. Buying a policy and your, your insurance company sending you half a dozen devices to connect to pipes around your house, that's complicated. While there might be some really, really cool data and other things that we get excited, we need to figure out how to simplify that down and make it really, really easy for the customer because there's a lot of reluctancy when we started describing those types of offerings in here of people saying, that sounds complicated to me. Yeah, and no, I want to come back to that device one in a minute. I've got some personal experiences with things sitting on the shelves um, or sitting wired in but not actually working. So I can very much relate to that. But just a very interesting mark also you mentioned in there, uh, estate agents, people not, don't want to buy their insurance from estate agents. Uh, there's quite a lot of work done recently that's shown from a branding point of view, people are more willing to buy insurance from a non-insurance brand uh, so I guess the state agents are probably still at one end of the spectrum. But did, that, did you see that kind of coming through and you know, people would, would actually rather buy their insurance 
from a, a brand and you mentioned banks that, that might, they might trust more than their insurance provider? Absolutely. It typically ties back to though the trust elements um, that the consumers are looking for. And again, tying to the simplicity, if there is a brand that the consumer already has a high degree of trust in, even though they might not have anything to do with financial services, that comes across to the consumer as simple. Oh, great. I don't need to go and research this brand to understand if they're a trustworthy brand out there because I know it and I'm going to go and trust it. Of course, there's also the reverse are, again, on the UK estate agent ones, there might already be some preconceived negative notions on those brands and those brands are going to struggle. But, well, we didn't test individual ones. If the brand already has a high trust with the consumer, regardless of the industry it's in, there is clearly a bias from the consumer to go, that seems simple and easy because I trust that brand. That's, yeah, that's really interesting linking it back to that simplicity one again. And then from the Avanta point of view, Mark, a couple of questions here for you. So what does embedded insurance mean for you? Have you got applications where you are offering that through different channels? No, so we're all direct um, to the consumer. So we don't embed in other solutions. So I guess the way we think about that at Avantia is we don't really mind if another digital platform becomes the place customers go to choose their insurance. You know, there are lots of businesses out and about at the moment talking about using open banking, talking about kind of finding the right policy for you. Uh, for us, it doesn't matter who does that. At the moment, the dominant force there are the price comparison sites. Um, but we're optimized for digital platforms. And if another digital platform uh, gains sufficient critical mass, then we would plug into that and use them as a distribution platform. I think the, the bit for me that, that could become a risk is if the, if the comparison aspects of the way insurance is sold at the moment are lost. So, you know, for example, it's, it's wonderful to think that I just buy my car and it comes with insurance and that's all straightforward. But is, is that product meeting my needs? Is it good value? Uh, and, you know, let's not forget we've been embedding products with mortgages, um, you know, since time immemorial. And I would argue that's not necessarily been in the customer's interest. So I, I, I'm all for um, smart, slick, simple embedded insurance solutions but i think we have to protect the customer's right to choose something that may be more or less suitable um, for their needs and and that's the big watch out for me here uh, price comparison sites um have, have actually done a fantastic job in making it easy for consumers to find good value insurance and if we lose that by bundling things up too much then i, I think that would be negative for the consumer yeah, and also something the regulators are looking at very carefully. I mean, in the UK, the, the price walking is now sort of a bigger area of focus for insurance companies that are overcharging or charging higher rates or premiums to people that already have insurance. I guess it's all part of the same uh, situation. But, but also, Mark, from Levantia's point of view, on this point about brand and, and name recognition, what have you learned about how people think about Avantia? Are you a, are you a strong recognized brand or do you rely more on being able just to deliver what people want and come out well on the comparison sites. Our consumer-facing brand is Home Protect. We are not a well-known brand. We therefore rely on what people can find out about us when they do their online research. So 
you know, we put a lot of emphasis into customer experience and making sure that um, customers in effect can find out what it's like to be a customer of ours and uh, what it's going to feel like when it comes to making a claim. Uh, and, and so we have to kind of live or die by that reputation. We don't have any inbuilt brand recognition, um, just given the nature of the, the kind of size and scale of business that we are. So even more important for us, I guess, that we do the right thing, um, are transparent, and, um, and ultimately we see that recognized by our customers in, in places like Trustpilot. And then just, Mark, picking up on what we're talking about, connected devices, is that anything that you also offer to your, your clients, any kind of IoT devices or benefits for being connected to um, smoke detectors or leak detectors or anything else that's out there? Well, the approach that we've taken is, is to think about our technology platform and, and make it future-proof and ready for when that opportunity arrives in scale. We, we do think that opportunity will come we think it will be hardware driven. You know, ultimately, um, it will be um, it will be the um, the sort of Googles, the Amazons, the Facebooks, etc. That that connect up homes. We don't think it will be an insurance user case that ultimately accelerates the drive towards connected homes. But when the opportunity presents itself, our objective is to be ready. So the streaming platform that I talked about earlier, one of the benefits it has is it can ingest large volumes of data in real time to allow us to make better decisioning for risk and, and retail pricing. And um, so, for example, you could imagine a home hub or a whole collection of devices. Um, we've, we've built the capability to be able to listen to those devices and to therefore be able to proactively warn customers about um, things that might go wrong or, or may become a larger claim if nothing is done in the meantime. And that way we'll be able to, uh, to save customers money. But fundamentally at this stage, we don't think the hardware and the concept of the connected home is mature enough for us to plug into that, that ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, the Delights report Mark, I thought was interesting, and it actually seemed to be pointing in two different directions, but understandably in terms of people's use of data. I mean, on the one hand, this sort of concern about how the data is going to be used, but also the ability to get variable pricing or, or pricing that relates to people's real risk. Are, are you seeing, you know, all the devices that are out there, uh, are, are any of the ones actually starting to make a difference. I mean, we've seen with connected devices and telematics and motor that that's been successful in certain niche areas to a long time though, to sort of get off the ground, but it would be looking at property. Is there anything you're seeing that's actually starting to make a difference? From a property perspective, I'd say not on mass, right? There's some great examples out there like Neos and others who, who have come into the market with some pretty innovative offerings. I think to what Mark was describing of what Avanti is sort of looking for is, is exactly where the market will ultimately go as it needs to be someone else leading with the device, not the insurance company. So I know there's some partnerships set up in the US with, with Nest uh, and a few others like that. I think that's where we need to wait for the market to mature, where people have already something else connected in there and then the insurance gets kind of bolted on. Um, again, there's a few um, security companies in North America. There's one that I was working with that, you know, had that sort of set of equipment in there and then sold the insurance on top of that. And then we're able to get some of the feed and the data off of the, the insurance piece. So that's what I think needs to still happen in the market versus the examples of the insurers leading with the devices. 
I think you're seeing consumers experiment with it and play a bit with it, but you haven't seen it in any of the markets really take off en masse. I think the potential, though, is quite interesting. If, if you think about uh, COVID-19, what it's in effect done is put more people in their homes more of the time. And so if you think about a peril like escape of water, they've been at home and they've been able to catch leaks earlier and reduce the cost of the ultimate claim. Now, when they all go back to work, the ability of technology to perform that same preventative role and to reduce the cost of, of ultimately what is a very large cost to insurers, it is quite powerful. So, you know, for me, the, the prevention use case is, is very strong when the hardware and technology is ready. I don't get as excited about um, being able to price the risk of a home better um, because I think there's an enormous amount of data that you would need to be able to learn the patterns and understand which houses were more or, or less risk. I think there's other data sources that will do that better for quite some time. But prevention, I think, I think will be really powerful. And, you know, as I say, you know, excited to, um, to be ready for that when, when the hardware is in place. I think that last point, Mark, is absolutely spot on when the hardware is in place. You know, water shutoff valves are a good example, back to your point about escape of water, where they can make a real difference. In the US, half the flood losses are actually caused by leaking pipes as opposed to sort of external flood. But actually, those are very difficult to fit after the fact. They're most effective if they're actually fitted when you're building a property because they can then be embedded, connected to the electricity. And actually, in some cases, the builders are actually using them to test the systems when they go. So I think over time, you start to see those being in place. And then, you know, as you've all said, you actually have an infrastructure that works that can be used as opposed to trying to fit it after the fact. But you also, Mark, just mentioned in there, the sort of the variable pricing bit, which you know, from the Deloitte's point of view was one of the other themes that came out. Uh, so Mark Patterson, please help us to sort of hear what you heard about people's interest in the variable pricing element. Uh, and is, is that really starting to sort of change and will it change how insurance is being sold in the future? There was two sides. There was a positive and negative. And, and when we mean variable pricing, sort of, you know, pricing changing depending on the environment and other things that were going on. But first, let me just cover quickly a negative one that we heard from consumers, which was they don't want the price changing if they don't understand why, right? So there are some propositions I've seen come up to the market that have a very complex way to determine month by month what your cost is. And consumers really have an aversion to that when they don't understand. But what consumers have asked for, putting aside right now the data reluctancy piece, is they do say, I do want to be priced based on what my actual consumption is or things that I can control. We, we even saw a simple, simple part of this where people expressed a lot of frustration. If you think about the time that we were running this survey, most of the world was in a lockdown. And people went online to go and change their insurance policy to say, hey, I'm not driving my car and I'm staying at home constantly. And what they realized was there wasn't the ability to easily make those changes to their policy and reap the benefit of kind of those different behaviors that should save them money. And so I think where we're seeing from consumers is saying they want the simple flexibility of going, let me go and either tell you or find a way that you are aware that I'm not driving anymore or that I'm at home because I want to pay less um, and make sure that that's embedded in there 
but <clears throat> don't start changing prices on me for things that I don't understand. And a lot of our rating factors in insurance are things that consumers don't understand. So even if those are variable, they're saying, don't charge me on that. Keep it really, really simple, but make this pricing fair based on things I can control. One of the interesting pieces of data I heard was in the UK, Admiral was one of the few companies that offered a rebate for people not driving their cars. But the, the reason others didn't do it was they couldn't. I mean, they just didn't have the systems to do it. So part of it, I guess, is just as the legacy systems get changed, people have got more flexibility. But I'm just interested, uh, yeah, there's anything specifically you're seeing that actually is, is moving on the back of this and the technology is giving companies more freedom to do it? I think the first piece is, you know, from a consulting perspective with my job at Deloitte, the, the number of calls we're getting from people saying, how do I now enable some of this flexibility to my consumers via a digital channel? And I think this is a spot where a lot of organizations have been hindered by, you know, their technology and not being able to offer it to consumers. So I think we are seeing a big shift. And I think, you know, in the next 12 months, you're going to see a much richer digital capability in there for consumers. I think the, the challenge for the insurers from a business perspective is keeping that capability really, really simplistic and making it really, really easy. I, I do think, you know, though from the telematics perspective, you're still going to see a reluctancy from, a, from consumers to adopt things that are being given from their insurance company, especially on the driving side. Again, varies a lot by country, but we're still hearing from consumers that strong sentiment of, I don't know if I want my insurance company to know how I'm driving. They're all very worried that somehow, again, their price is going to suddenly change because they brake too hard on the highway one day and that they're not comfortable with. They do like the idea of saying, I'm okay to pay based on how much I drive, but I'm nervous if I put that device in, even if you're telling me you're only monitoring the number of miles that you're also going to be looking at or not. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And then from the Avantia point of view, Mark, you must have opportunities where you're looking at these unusual risks to sort of give people ways of managing with what might be quite expensive you know, for a, a holiday home that's not being used regularly or yeah, something else that could be varied with, with variable pricing. Is that something you, you've got the capability of offering or, or does it tend to be just a standard annual contract? The product we have is, is a dynamic product. So in effect, it looks at the, the customer's risk characteristics and in effect packages up the right cover that they need at a competitive price. So it allows us to cover those non-standard characteristics without, in effect, producing a product that would be unaffordable by the customer. So we have a, a, a dynamism in that respect. Personally, I think there are some very clear use cases for flexibility. I think mileage is, is a really good one. But I think often the industry tends to leap to the extreme. And we sort of think that there's this, uh, this customer out there that wants to be uh, in one portal, constantly having their insurance needs updated based on what they've decided to do that day. And, mm. I, and I don't think that's realistic. I think in a way it's not helpful because it almost misses the point what a customer I think wants to do is take those material changes in their policy, go online, make them easily digitally with no cost penalty. That's the nub of it. So, you know, if I've lost my job and I want to reduce some elements of my cover, 
that's not a sort of monthly flexibility type item. It's just I want to be able to go online easily, take off a few aspects of cover, understand what I've taken out, understand what I can save, not be charged a penalty for making a change during the policy. That, I think, is is the flexibility piece that customers want that as insurers we're probably still not good enough at yet. And, and we mustn't kind of leap over that to this hyper-personalization point without kind of missing the fundamentals before we get there. If I could add in there, completely agree. And, you know, our data was about 25%, roughly, again, varied by region, of customers were saying they want more flexibility. But the flexibility they described is exactly what you said. It's these basic things of, I've lost my job. I'm no longer using my car to go to work. I want to go and be able to change that. They were not asking for, hey, can I have my camera insured for the next four days while I'm traveling to this spot? And then I'm going to log in in those four days and go and add something else and remove something else. They weren't asking for that level of really detailed granularity. It was the simple transactions that they want flexibility on. That last point, Mark, is is really important. We've seen a number of companies that have tried to do that and, and actually not succeeded. Mark Easton, you've had a chance to take a look at this. Anything you would have expected to see in here or any other big trends you're seeing over and above what Deloitte has discovered? I don't think um, there's anything material missing. I think probably the bits we've, we've maybe not spent as much time on on this conversation is around uh, the digitization of claims and the way uh, that the claims experience works for customers. I really liked the piece on parametric insurance. And I think that's really interesting for a certain type of customer. I don't think it's necessarily right for every customer because it's quite a sophisticated product to buy because in effect, you're taking the risk that you might not have enough money to cover the event that's just happened to you. And equally, you're also denying yourself the ability to use an insurer's claims supply chain to help you put things right. And it was just interesting for me in in the Deloitte report where you've got parametric insurance coming through as number one in terms of things customers were interested in. At, At position three on the same table, you've also got customers saying they'd really like access to a a sort of service or repair guy to come and help them. And I sort of took a step back at that point and thought, well, fundamentally, that's what a claims operation does. It, it, It provides you the right amount of resources and skill to put you back to where you would otherwise have been had, had the claim not happened in the first place. So I I think that's quite an interesting area to explore along with, the kind of digitization of, of claims, the automation, uh, the kind of things that, you know, Lemonade are doing well in a contents area. I think it's interesting for us anyway as a business to see how we take that into a more complicated buildings and contents uh, arena. And I think people like Hippo in the States are, are doing a really good job of that at that stage. And Mark, on, on the parametric piece, it was interesting to- finding out of the survey that number one feature requested specifically in home was what we described as an instant payment of a pre-agreed amount post-disaster. How I read that was an average consumer, I think, looked at that question when we posed it and said, I like the sounds of this because you're telling me I don't need to, I have a no fuss claim payment. They probably didn't understand some of the negatives that might come with it. 
But I coupled that with some of the research we did also on what are people researching before they buy insurance. And the number one thing out of that was, will the claim be paid and will it be paid fairly? So I think there's something about both of those themes of what a consumer is looking for that we need to look at as insurers and say, how do we give confidence that a customer is going to get money when they need it and in a really simple, easy way, but also not necessarily going to the full extent of just purely parametric, because I agree, I don't think consumers would fully know what they're signing up for there. Yeah, I was just going to say that it's back to the trust point, Mark, that you made at the start of this. It's almost a shame, isn't it, that, that there's demand for parametric, because the implication is, I don't trust my insurer um, and therefore, I want more clarity and certainty on what they'll do in the event of a claim that feels like parametric to me. Um, that I, I think it all just comes back to the heart of the matter, which is, do consumers trust insurers enough to pay out when it really matters? Yeah. And when we looked at, we said, what are people researching about claims? The number one piece that they were looking at if they were researching about claims was, are, pay, are claims paid fairly? And we use the word fairly. And so... I think you're right. It comes back to trust. And I'm really glad we, we got parametric in that, just given there's a lot going on in that area. It's one of my you know, sort of favorite topics just now. But I, I think, as you've both said, is that there's a blend in here. I mean, a company like Jumpstart, for example, in the US is offering a, a very fast, but you know, capped at $10,000 payout for an earthquake shake to really help people get a payment just to get them back on their feet. That doesn't replace the conventional insurance. And so I think it's important to think about it as that kind of hybrid model or a way of replacing insurance that couldn't otherwise have been, have been given. Good. Well, we should start to sort of wrap it up here. Um, Mark Patterson, I'd really love to know how you managed to get 8,000 people to respond to your survey. I mean, everyone these days is getting surveys. Can you share any of your secrets for uh, how you managed to get people to give some input? You know, I have to give credit to uh, the good people over at YouGov. Uh, that's our primary partner in, in doing these surveys. Um, and they have a great access to uh, some trusted lists of, of consumers around the world. I, I would add the caveat of, you know, in China, what we did limit our research to was people in urban centers, as we weren't able to find a way to get to some of the rural population there in China. But beyond that, it, it was very much of a you know, great work that people at YouGov were doing for us and taking advantage that everyone was at home and maybe had a looking for a few more distractions um, from their day-to-day -day job, if you will, when we uh, launched this. Great. And then for those that want to get access to the report, as I mentioned, we'll put some links in the notes. But is there, a, if they go to the Deloitte's website, Mark, is there a simple way just to type in some, some words to find this or something to Google? Absolutely. You can either just go to Deloitte.com, click on the insurance sector in there, or on Google, just do a quick search for Deloitte Future of Insurance, and the report should be up there in the number one hit. Great. And then Mark, for um, Home Protect, if anybody wants to learn more about Home Protect and uh, take out insurance, where should they go to find that? They should go to homeprotect.co.uk. Nice and simple. That's, uh, it's good to hear. Well, look, thank you both very much. It was a fascinating discussion. I learned a lot and uh, it's great to sort of you know, see what the consumers are saying and the customers and then balance that with some of the realities. So I you know, really appreciate you taking the time. And thanks also both of you for your support for uh, Interstate London. Really appreciate that as well. Thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Well, I'm thrilled you made it this far. You deserve a treat. Uh, please do keep the messages coming in. Tell me you're listening to the podcast. I know there are thousands of you out there, but we don't know who you are unless you tell us. 
Uh, also, if you're an iPhone user, it's going to really help us continue to get noticed around the world. If you can leave your rating and comment on the Instec London podcast channel, just got to scroll down to the end of the episodes. Should only take a few seconds. Uh, and of course, everything else we're up to, you can find at www.instec.london. Finally, hang in there after the music if you want the final word from Mark Easton from our pre-recording chat. On the Avantia streaming technology, I'm sorry you took the Bayesian optimization out. I'm delighted I took it out, so don't worry. <laughs> the prospect of talking about Bayesian optimization at nine o'clock was uh, didn't fill me with joy. <laughs>